Welcome to When Pigs Fly. We're uncovering Cincinnati's rich business history from the 1800s to today. We talk to companies to learn the ups and downs of entrepreneurship, what it takes to grow a successful business, and to simply post to feature innovation. I'm one of your co-hosts, Patrick Bailey. And I'm your other co-host, Allie Martin. And today, we are talking to Luke Denny of Freight. And Freight is conquering the last mile of shipping and logistics. Delivering the big and bulky professionally and fast. And you'll hear at the beginning of this podcast that I was a little confused, honestly, as to who they were catering to at first. And Same. Luke, I yeah, totally... Yeah. So, but it's interesting, right? Because we live today, we live in a world of the now. We want the Amazons. We have two-day shipping. We, you know, If we order something online, we expect it to show up at our doorstep in two days. And when you're also working with clients mm-hmm. and retailers... Uh, they're in the same boat because they're going to have to be able to figure out how to compete with that. And, uh, you know, how transportation and distribution has changed so much over the years is is really interesting, even here in the city. Well, the city, you know, had canals and railroads at one point in time, and now we are very heavily car focused. Yeah, well, you actually, you bring up a really good point because our little fun history nugget and fun fact of the day is goes back to our original roots of how we transported goods, our product distribution. Number one, all started with the Ohio River. So that that's, you know, from city to city. But my one of my favorite facts about our city, and I'm kind of sad that we actually don't have it anymore, is that when you drive down Central Parkway, that road actually used to be the Miami and Erie canal. It was a 274 mile man-made canal that went all the way from Cincinnati up to Toledo. So that completely opened up our city to a wealth of commerce. And it does not obviously exist anymore, but that is our fun history. That sounds like a, you know, man-made marvel, right? Yeah. And if we still had it today, I think it would be an attraction in of itself. And I wonder how our shipping and logistics would be totally different if it were still in use today. Yeah, that's a good question. I'm not, I'm not really sure. (laughs) So let's explore, you know, shipping and logistics in the 21st century by bringing in Luke. Let's do it. Okay, Luke. The co-founder and CEO of Freight. Okay, so really going through the website, I'm thinking, how did I not know about this before? Because if, and you're going to have to clarify this. I'm thinking like, if I were to be making a move or if I'm selling something on Facebook Marketplace, I should have heard about this this service that you've created a long time ago. So give a little background as to what Freight is. Absolutely. Um, Glad to be here, guys. So, Allie, the reason why you probably haven't heard of us is we actually cater to businesses only. So we're an on-demand marketplace platform for business shippers that are really trying to ship their last mile on-demand shipments. It ranges anywhere from, you know, buckets of paint to cars on a, you know, car tires to even even large pallets of tile. We ship all these types of products on demand and try to get them drivers within an hour or two. It's our, our game is all about speed and trying to give them professional, reliable drivers. So where did this stem from? Was there a need for this in the market? There is. Honestly, the, the fun story, I wish my, my, my colleague was here. The original founder, Lawrence, thought of this when 
he was trying to orchestrate uh, being a general contractor for his home. And he needed to get these large rolls of carpet. You know, he didn't have a van. He had like a small SUV. He couldn't fit a large roll of carpet in his car. But he knew of a driver that was just a few blocks away with a large cargo van. And he thought, how can I orchestrate this whole thing? How can I get, you know, this to connect with this to come to me? And so that's kind of where it was was birthed is freight became this platform that allowed shippers and drivers to connect to each other instantly, kind of like your Uber for stuff. Yeah, but that was kind of the vibe that I was getting. And I guess my my first assumption too was that you were also doing more small local individual shipments and movements. So that is my bad. <laughs> no, we tried to go that angle. We mm. just realized it was a, kind of an operational headache for us to do it. So we yeah. switched we switched to businesses only. And so we do whether it's B2B or even to their end user, B2C, we cater to both. Yeah. So how did you get involved with Freight and how did you become, you know, become, you know, CEO and co-founder? Yeah, I, I'm the, I'm the oddball of the group. Um, <laughs> There's always I was, one. <laughs> yeah, I was, so I was the last co-founder to join and I, I have a software and finance background, but I, I literally left the accounting firm I used to work for to start my own firm. Mm. And the co- the original founder, Lawrence, pulled me out of the blue, and I thought he wanted me as to be a client for me. And lo and behold, he wanted me to join and be their finance guy. So that was that was January of 2019 when they were in the baby stages of this company. Ooh. Like it was, they were doing like maybe two thousand dollars a month, and you know, whenever we get one delivery, it was all hands on deck. How do we get this covered? <laughs> what do we do? So it was a fun time to join in and, and just, it, it's been a rodeo ever since. It's been a lot of fun. Here's a question for you, which I don't think we've talked about much on our podcast. When you're starting a company and because you weren't there from the very, very beginning, but you kind of were at the same time, how did they convince you to say, you need to quit your job uh, and you need to come into the startup? And what was that like ceiling, like ceiling deal for you? You know, I just, I just believed in the vision of what they were trying to do when they explained, you know, the, the value add, you know, the, the mission of what they were trying to do and how they were solving this problem in last mile. And this was even before COVID, you know, came into full force. I just, it made sense to me. I believed in it. I was kind of an entrepreneur at heart and I just wanted to dive in head first and never looked back. It was, it was great. How was the change from accounting, which like totally numbers <laughs> yeah. and not as super people oriented as being a startup founder? I always like to tell people I was a good accountant, not a great accountant. At so, least you're honest with yourself. <laughs> yeah, it was, it, it would taught me so much, man, but it just, it wasn't for me long-term. I just, but I tell you what, I loved learning all about businesses, what worked, Mm. what didn't work, because in public accounting, you get to see just hundreds of different businesses and review their financials and their tax returns. And it's like, oh, so that worked for them from year to year. That didn't work for them year to year. Mm. And that was just so educational for me to bring the freight. Yeah. So what were you able to then roll over when you came over to freight? And some of it's just kind of your foundational principles, like just... Mm -hmm you know, knowing where you're spending your money on and trying to find efficiencies in everything that you do. Because as a startup, you know, we only have so much cash and we're always trying to get more cash. We only have so much. And so it's like, 
yeah, we could do this. It sounds great. It's going to solve that problem. But is there another way? Is there another way to do it that's not as much cost, that's more efficient? And so that's kind of where I was that sounding board where they'd be all about, yeah. you know, buying this or subscribing to that. And I'd be trying to find the more efficient way. Simplify. So, because when you think, when, in, you know, thinking about how logistically, how you, from beginning to end, how this service works, what were some of those things that you tried at first that you felt like, ooh, we can tighten this up a bit that, because when you're dealing with different cars and gas and just the, the customer service side of things, so the app side of things, there's a, there's a lot happening here in order to make this successful. There is. It's kind of a two-pronged answer, but our marketing is something that we really had to experiment with. You know, whether it was mass kind of media from billboards to you know, tailored advertising, the digital campaigns to email sequencing, we really had to experiment with what worked and what didn't work. And so it got to a point where rather than just trying to dump money into it, it was more, where are we getting the best ROI for the lowest cost? And it was, once we figured that out, that's where we put all our focus on. And, and one of those actually became email campaigns. Our email campaigns, we've taken time to really dial in and they're starting to produce customers that we hadn't had before. So during your marketing campaigns, did you have to educate your potential customers about what this whole last mile logistics and last mile shipping means? Especially in the Midwest. It seems like in the Midwest, we just don't want to change. Like we we kind of know what we like. We're good. Yeah, right. We know what we like and we're good. We don't need anything else. So it's, you're right, Patrick. It's been a hundred percent of an educational journey trying to allow warehouse managers and store managers and, you know, retail managers understand there's a more effective way to do this mm. that can save them cost and offer their customers faster service times and delivery times. But that's been hard. That has been probably one of the hardest things to do is convince them. Did COVID accelerate, I guess, that learning curve and force people mm. to learn faster? You got it. In COVID, so this is going to be interesting because COVID, as you as you rightly understand, just exploded, you know, the delivery space. But, you know, as COVID's kind of, we're going to see where it goes. But as things have kind of a little bit normaled out, now the question is, is everyone still going to want on-demand, last-mile deliveries at the same capacity that they had last year? So, for example, Uber, right? I keep reading the news that Uber keeps getting more and more expensive. And it's because it's just reality coming in. Reality yeah. is a lot of these on-demand to get somebody right away, it costs money. And all these services have been subsidized up to this point with investor dollars. So it's going to be really interesting in the next couple of years where this goes, how it fluctuates, what does on-demand delivery really look like over the next few years? I, I, and I kind of want to backtrack a little bit. So you were saying that marketing, so marketing was one of your biggest challenges and that you were saying that you were having success with email campaigns? Yes. How, so how did you get, because I think with email campaigns, it's all well and good, but getting people to open them and getting people to engage, how did you guys go about that? One of the things that we're learning, right, we're always learning, is that all of our messaging is we're trying to get uniform to be customer first, customer focused, not talking about how great freight is, not talking about what we can do, just putting ourselves in the customer's shoes. What are 
you know, retail managers, what are their, what keeps them up at night? What are their problems today? And tailoring those emails to like hit those. Like, hey, and is that down to like copy? Like your, I imagine your subject line is almost key. So what would be an example that you would use? Well, for example, like some of the higher value products, it's just, are you losing sleep over getting your high expensive products delivered quickly? Because, you know, they can get damaged, they can go missing, they can go and trying to like, just put ourselves in their shoes and solve their problems for them with our messaging. Okay. So I, I am kind of like switching gears a little bit too. So can you paint a picture then? Because if, if, if re- retailers are, are staying up at night because they're freaking out because maybe a delivery isn't happening, kind of paint a picture side by side what your service looks like versus what the average service has been like probably for years. Sure. We kind of see ourselves with two competitors, but to answer your question, the traditional side is your yeah. like, couriers, your uh, delivery services that are across town. What we're doing that tries to offer something better is not only can they get like real-time tracking, like you do with Uber, Mm -hmm. that awesome, like where is that driver and and how close are they to me? We offer that. We offer free a a service that gets someone there within 59 minutes, which is actually Mm -hmm. pretty fast for cross-town deliveries. But then on the flip side, what we're also trying to do is help them save on their overhead costs. Because if you have like mm-hmm. a, a small retailer that's got like maybe five to six of their own vans that go out and do the, their deliveries, mm-hmm. well, you got to pay somebody's salary and benefits and gas and maintenance on the vehicle. Our product is trying to take that cost out and they're paying for a service that just does it for them and yeah. does it for them with reliability and speed. And it's hyper local. So you're staying within a city. Yes. Nice. So as you're going through this process of email marketing, getting the word out there, educating, and also, you know, trying to overcome pre-existing, you know, notions about what delivery is, what industries or customers did you discover most likely use your service? Well, you know what, it's, I'll give you this example, though there's several examples. It's smaller local and regional companies that are having to compete with Amazon, right? Mm. It's Amazon's got the ability to get us stuff within same day, next day, a few days. So how is, you know, mom and pop across town in Cincinnati to compete with that when they may sell some of their same products that Amazon offers. Mm. And that's where the power of freight comes in is you can offer them two hour delivery through freight, you know, by integrating us with their website. So we're helping retailers and some e-commerce to compete in that arena. And what does overhead look like for you guys? Like, do you own all your vans and all your cars and everything? What does that look like? None of them. They're all independent contracted drivers with their own vehicles. Ah, interesting. And that's obviously strategic. It kind of reminds me of Roto-Rooter because I believe Roto-Rooter does that too. As if you're gonna, if you're a plumber, you have to get your own van mm. and you pimp it out with Roto-Rooter stuff and then you're off. Freight's going to go into the plumbing industry next. (laughs) (laughs) What what was it like launching then in other cities? Talk Hmm. about kind of where it started and then how you guys decided to expand. Yeah, the scaling. I'm fascinated. Mm -hmm. How do you scale this? It's it's been fun. I tell you, so like our dashboard where we see deliveries, it is so fun to log in, you know, throughout the day and just see like where all these deliveries are taking place. But we went from Cincinnati to kind of, we kind of concentrically moved out into the region, Ohio, Indiana, Kentucky, Michigan. 
And what it really was is finding, we focused on those independently run stores where the store manager gets to make their own delivery decisions on who they use and what vendors. And once we found like brands or, you know, different companies that would agree to us here in Cincinnati, it was like, ah, okay, well, where, mm. where else do you have stores that we can, you know, try and, and get those on board? Are you finding too that other cities have, because like you said, the Midwest here, places like Cincinnati, we're pretty stuck in our ways. Like we're pretty comfortable where we at, where we're at. Were you seeing other issues and other problems that you did not predict in other cities? The answer is undoubtedly yes. It's just yeah. remembering what those are. <laughs> How many cities are you in now? We, well, it's actually easier to go by state. We're in 38 states right now. Oh, wow. So if you just think of all the met- major metro markets in those, we're probably in around 50 to 75 cities right now. And what right year now. did you start? Summer of 2017. So that's, that's very, that's quick. How did you guys manage to do that? Not only did we grow organically, but we also have some really good partners of ours. Um, these are like third-party logistic partners. They're software companies. They're just wonderful partners mm. who asked us to recruit in cities that they had opportunity. And so we would go out, we recruit a driver base, and then they turn us on and send us deliveries. And then from there, we would just try to grow our own organic base of shippers on top of that. So is that really your go-to market strategy? Is like, let's go find some customer in these cities and then they'll basically just use us and then they're doing the marketing for you, essentially. For all of 2020, that was our strategy. Yep. Mm. Now we're now we're kind of on the we're trying to layer it with our own organic shipper base with with that we get through email campaigns, through our sales team, and other digital campaigns. And from the app side, right? When I when you say, especially when you say last mile, we interviewed a nonprofit called Last Mile Food Run that, believe it or not, is very similar where you go and you like pick up an order and it's all to it's, it's all about saving food waste and bringing it from you know a local like a local grocery store to a food shelter of some sort right so from a to b and it tracks you all the way now with this software they com- they collaborated with another company that already had this created was that similar to you guys or did you develop this from the back end we developed this from scratch oh, yeah interesting it- our um, CTO and also co-founder, Josh McCord, he built this from the ground up, did a fantastic job. And then in last year, we created our own proprietary version. Yeah, it's, it's, been, a, it's been a great journey. How are you kind of experimenting with that, right? Because especially with apps, I feel like there are so many kinks and things need to be tested out. As a team, how did you guys go about doing that? A lot of it's live and learn. Yeah. <laughs> but- <laughs> But we also, I mean, we, we used uh, a local development agency in town that helped us out quite a bit, Gaslight. They did a really great job helping us with develop our back end. And then just building our team with talented team members that had experience where Josh and others didn't have. So it's been just, just gaining resources from all over. I love that. What's been the biggest challenge for you individually? You know what? The, and this is going to be boring. I'm sorry. but No, not at all. The biggest challenge, it's been our 2021 mission, and that is that we're trying mm-hmm. to become profitable as a startup, which... Which is probably like one of the hardest things, right? Yes. <laughs> yes, it really is. Yeah, how do you make your money? <laughs> <laughs> right. Like, like, oh, I guess at the end of the day, we do have to make some money. <laughs> but <laughs> but it's, it's, I tell you, what's been wonderful is we have, we have a culture that's very transparent. 
And so our whole team knows like all our financials, they know our, our mission, um, they're all stakeholders in freight. And we're trying to basically do this as a team and everyone in their own corner, whether it's ops or sales or, or admin or driver recruiting, they all know like we're trying to be as efficient as possible while still serving our customers as best we can. And it's just been an, it's an awesome environment. Everybody's on board. And we're trying to hit this by the end of this year and we're on track right now. You know, one thing that, you know, Ali has definitely learned is that startups take venture capital in order to become profitable. Yes. Tell us a little bit about, I guess, your journey in reaching out to investors or taking on investment or grants or whatever you guys needed to do to get over the hump to get to where you guys want to be by the end of this year. Absolutely. And it's, it's really, it's a 20 hour story that I'll try to condense in one minute. So we learned a ton. Last year, we tried to raise a series A round that was unsuccessful. Um, and it was unsuccessful because it wasn't the right timing. We overvalued ourselves and we were asking for too much. We didn't need as much as we were trying to raise. And so our current investors who've stuck with us since the very beginning in our early seed round kept us going, but then it was understood like, we want to get to the next venture round, but we need to get to where our metrics and our uh, capital efficiencies make sense and are attractive to investors. So that's been the 2021 mission is grow, but grow efficiently to where we're profitable. And then we're going to raise another venture round. Uh, hopefully by the end of this year, we'll get started. So what did you guys miss, right? So you, it was a swing and a miss the first round and you kind of just went into it. But if you could elaborate on that a little bit more, if someone were to be going through that same situation right now, what do you wish you would have known? I wish I would have known that you don't need as much money as you think you do. Because the number we pulled was kind of arbitrary. And we, we pulled the number first and then we developed the plan to follow the number rather than like, what do we really need? The other thing too is like, Everybody gets really excited, and I get it, really excited about raising these large venture rounds. But at the same time, like the less that you need, the more equity you keep as a team for yourselves, which isn't fully thought through when people go to raise, and they're more focused on raising as large of a round as they can. And we've just learned through trial and error like to really make sure we know what we need and to prove that we have the valuation to ask for that. Do you feel like you were able to calculate what you needed going into this? Or was this just, uh, again, like you were learning, it was a little more, oh, we're excited. We're just going to throw a number out there. But then when you actually step back and think about the process, the logistics, did you, did you guys actually like sit down and do that? You nailed it. It's, <laughs> it was a lot, it was a lot of emotion. It really yeah, was. Throw you under the bus there. <laughs> no, no, it's, it's, that's what it was. It was, it was emotion. It was, we were growing rapidly. We were excited. Uh, we needed more funding, but we kind of did a forecast, but it was rushed. It really wasn't thought out. And it was, it was just, everything was built on emotion and excitement is what it was. That's a huge factor. <laughs> yeah. We're going to come back to that. Yes, definitely. <laughs> um, I wanted to kind of riff on the part that you'd ask for too much, uh, yeah. especially here in Ohio. Uh, just from my experience, investors are a little bit more, I guess, wary of those larger rounds do you think that was a factor into i guess the lack of success <laughs> uh, for raising that round couldn't agree more patrick and, and that's and, and, but to what you're saying like it seems like a lot of uh, vcs and investors around the midwest are very conservative which which has its benefits and its cons mm. what i realized is you know they just want they want sound fundamentals 
is what they want. And if you can't present that well, it's, it's much harder to do in the Midwest, where it just seems like, and I could be totally wrong, but it just seems like out West, you know, with Silicon Valley, sometimes all you have to have is a really good idea and they'll throw money at you. It almost feels like the, the West then is more emotional, right? You react on that like presentation, which is fine. It's almost a show. And then here you're saying it's, it's really, like you said, based on like facts. I, and I've probably lost my chances with all West Coast investors now by saying that. But, <laughs> <laughs> but I do, I agree. I, I feel like the Midwest is far more conservative when it comes to that. So dumb question. Why not try to raise on the coast? Why stay in Cincinnati and Ohio to raise your round? That's, and that's what we're going to do is I think, I think Patrick and Ali, now that we're coming back with sound fundamentals and mm-hmm. hopefully a far better picture of what we're going to do and how and lay it out well, we're hoping to this time around, like align ourselves with someone that is a really good fit. And not just like we did last year where we were just trying to cast the net as wide as we could and somebody please fund us, mm. but rather like try to find someone that fits our mission and, and our, our culture. Hopefully be a little selective. We'll see. I don't know. Okay. So now that you're kind of going through these rounds and you're experiencing these things, what do you wish was different about venture capital and, and dealing with investors? I wish it was more personable. Because it seems a lot like a sales game, in my opinion. You're trying to form this pitch. Sometimes you get a very small amount of time to make your pitch and get to present yourself in front of them. Whereas I feel like it should be more personal where it could start with like meeting someone over coffee to then seeing it's if they trust. Start to tr- exactly. Mm-hmm. Like building that trust. It's very much of a... Like a it sales feels like, like speed dating. I don't know. That's <laughs> always what I think of. Of like, okay, like the the dong, like the bell rings. Okay, next, like next person. Comes Can I just in. point out the irony <laughs> that the accountant is like? I wish like the numbers were like more personable in our transactions. But I think that even speaks more highly. Like that means even more how it's it's even more important if the accountant's saying it. <laughs> yeah. And that's, I tell you, when this industry, we've found relationships are actually what's separating us from some of our competition because whether it's like support or whether it's building that trust to win them over as a customer, yes, we're tech and we're trying to be as automated and as efficient as possible, but we've just learned that this industry in particular, delivery, they want people they know and can call and trust because it's different than like Uber, where if, if, if it's you or I getting in a, in a vehicle, it's ourselves that we're looking after. But for them, it's their product that like once they give it to us, it's in our hands. Yeah. And so they want like a company they can trust and someone they can call. It's interesting. It's different. So then what are the points of contact between you as the service and with, with your customer that reassures and develops that relationship? Yeah. We have, you know, your typical channels of support. But one of the things we do is we make sure all of our sales members, we're the ones that have started this relationship, that they have the capacity and the time to take calls if needed. Mm-hmm. If there's an emergency, mm-hmm. call them. If, if they have a question, call them. But if it's something, you know, just on a typical delivery that they just want an update or they need to make a change, we have automated channels like through chat support for that. But otherwise, they know if, if they can't get good service or they just can't reach someone, 
they can call Bob or they can call Tiffany or they can call whoever is assigned to them. That's awesome. So how are you going to scale that as you are scaling the company? How do you scale that personal approach and that relationship building approach as you get big? As we look to scale, which this next venture round would do for us is, is try to scale our sales team into regions. It's trying to, it's really, it's honestly through sales. We first tried to go through growing all through digital channels, mm-hmm. you know, like uh, with ads and, and email campaigns. Mm-hmm. But sales is where that relationship comes in. And sometimes mm-hmm. sales is what's required to close the deal. So we're going to scale with a sales team region by region that has like an actual team to where they can coordinate who's going out and seeking and destroying who's going to be available today for calls if they come up just trying to strategize and be as efficient as we can on a team basis so how are you going to instill that like culture or mindset like just pick up the phone especially with this is also coming from uh you know millennial gen zers here you know we would rather like no one hops on the phone anymore. You'd rather just send like a text or email. So how are you going to instill? Or just not respond. So how are you going to instill that culture into your, you know, new sales team? I think part of it is, is the team itself are the ones that like have to grind and win these accounts over and they get to know these people up front. So then it's like, we're trying to build their business as much as we can after we win them over, whether it's offering different types of services, whether it's trying to win all their business, if we're kind of a pool of vendors. And so not only do they get to know them up front, but they also get to know them in the back when things go wrong and they're like, well, no, I know I can help them more. I really need to make sure that this is taken care of. It's a relationship. And so we're trying to find team members that are relational oriented and i mean it even goes back to like kind of even going back to what patrick said like you're building a culture but in order to even get someone to listen to to the sales team like how are you training the sales team how are you telling them to initiate that conversation because that first interaction is is so important it is and it's i think it goes back to what we were talking about with being customer first customer centric versus freight so when we, come, when we come to them, it's not that we're talking about, hey, I'm the freight. We do this. It's coming to them and talking about, hey, I'm Luke. I work for a company called Freight. Have you guys been struggling with getting deliveries timely lately? You know, mm-hmm. are, are you finding those issues, finding those pressure points to focus on them first just shows it's a different, it's a different vibe. That's a huge point in sales that, and I, I, you know, kind of understanding the back end of like marketing media sales, you're always looking to know what the client is struggling with first. Cause I'm sure there are also a lot of times that maybe you aren't the best fit, but that's okay. But if you leave a good impression, who knows when they can come back around and say, Hey, you know, who, who is that guy, Luke, that I talked to? He seemed like a good guy, like a reasonable guy. He wanted to know what my issues are. So making sure you figure out what the issues of the client is first. Yes. And that's, and we do cross train on that. We do train on what are, cause that is so hard to get like from zero to 60 on knowing what are the everyday headaches or everyday issues industry by industry. But if they know that up front, going in and having those comebacks and those like being able to understand them and build that trust works really well when, when they have it. I'm going to switch gears a little here. You know, why has Cincinnati been the best place to start freight? 
And if it's not, and you then could why? Be honest. Yeah, and be honest and why. You know, no, actually, that's funny you said that. I was, I was actually trying to come up with a clever pun, which I'm terrible at, and say something like, why isn't Cincinnati the best place? <laughs> um, we could see the wheels, <laughs> wheels of that van turning. <laughs> yeah, you're right. Um, honestly, it's, it's, it's been, other than the fact that this is where we all, we all live, we all play, we all enjoy, we've been able to, we haven't struggled with finding talent so far mm-hmm. in the greater Cincinnati, you know, metro area. It's, so far, it's been pretty good. Now, as we go to scale, we'll see if that trend continues. But we love it here. I mean, it's I love I love the startup culture in Cincinnati. You know, the, mm-hmm. we've had so much help from so many people just willing to advise us or connect us with someone or talk to us. That's been wonderful to me. It's I love how Cincinnati's like the size that it is. It's not too big. It's not too small. I love the size that you can still be knowing everyone and yet you're learning uh, or hearing of new people you've never met every day. So yeah, especially being relationship driven. So what's, what's the biggest advice that you could give someone who is looking to move into the startup world? What's the biggest advice? We're waiting for the funny pun, by the way. I know, right? It's, it's, (laughs) he's going to think of it right at the end. (laughs) He's he's going to, you're going to wake up in the middle of the night and be like, Oh my God. (laughs) That's always how it works. When you're in a fight and you're like, I should have said this. (laughs) You know, you've probably heard so many Try try not to think of one that's like repeated, but. But it's from your, it's your experience, right? Like what are, what did you not know going into this journey that you, that really kind of threw you for a loop that you have, you're happy that you experienced and would not have expected? I think it's that you're, you have to go into it knowing you are always, always, always going to have problems. You always are. It doesn't matter if you're growing like heck. It doesn't matter if you're stagnant. Mm -hmm. It doesn't matter if you're hitting everything you're trying to hit. You are always going to have problems from unforeseen places that just come up but you've got to have fun you've just got to enjoy what you're doing you've got to be willing to let others take the spotlight and you know really like drive a good team in front of you and have fun knowing that you're going to have the highs and the lows and just enjoy it I think Enjoy that's such a good point for us to, you know, kind of end Wait, on. Wait, no, 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 I'm not done. No, because oh when you say problems, this will be the last one. I promise. <laughs> this will be like, so when you say problems, how how then do you keep your cool and stay focused and and still continue to have fun, right? Because I think problems mean stress for a lot of people. How it do does. you de-stress in those problems and say, okay, no, this is still fun? And that's the last question. <laughs> <laughs> It's, it's a case-by-case case thing, but I mean, everything that you face, you've just got to recognize that, this is going to sound so sappy, but that yes. the sun comes yes. after the rain, right? Like, it's just, it's just, it's, you're in the moment. You can't see anything else but where you're in the moment, and, and the moment's going to pass. It's just going to pass, and you just have to figure mm-hmm. it out. You have to bear it if it's, you know, painful and and just find ways to enjoy it and, and, and surround yourself with good people. There's so many people that just love to help in Cincinnati. Well, it's so embarrassing how sentimental you just got. <laughs> just kidding. Uh, no, that's a great of- point to end on now. <laughs> and where, where can, but more importantly, where can people find more information about mm. Freight Luke? Come to freight.com. You got to ignore our, our video at the front. We're, we're actually working on a new website. Um, which we're really excited about. It's going to be, um, we haven't done a new website in years. 
So becomeafraid.com, find us on LinkedIn. We're very, very active on LinkedIn and other social media and love to meet anyone that's interested in hearing more. Thanks. And thank you. Seriously, thank you so much for taking the time. Thanks for having me, guys. Honestly, I really love the last thought that Luke had because, you know, it it hits the sentimental side. It hits Mm. that emotional side. And that's actually one of the biggest takeaways that I took away from Luke is, you know, it's so easy for us to get swept up and be emotional and passionate about a product mm-hmm. that or service that we fully believe in. But when it, but when push comes to shove and you put those emotions aside and you come back down to earth as to, all right, what are the things, what are the, what are those foundational needs that are actually going to make us successful? And how do we calculate that? Mm-hmm. You do have to pull your emotion out of it a little bit and you might be overshooting your shot because you're just so excited, yeah. which is not a bad thing. That isn't a bad thing. And I think he's kind of like having this internal battle himself in the sense like, he's like, I hope like venture capital and startups become more emotional, but he realizes like he himself and the company be less emotional. So, you know, he's kind of straddling that, you know, those two sides and you even brought up, you know, the fact that he's an accountant and he's saying that it needs to be more emotional, but also realizing that he needs to be less emotional, I think says a lot about him as a good leader and him moving forward and helping his company move forward really the root of all businesses and all relationships are typically us as human beings yes right because he could be accountant he could be a finance guy or whatever it all comes down to us being humans and us building some sort of a relationship mm-hmm. and community and there's always that underlying human theme Exactly. And he hit that nail on the head. He did. He did. And to go right along with that, you know, being human, you need to have fun while you're building. Like that last Mm -hmm. point of just have fun, even the ups and the downs, like enjoy what you're doing. Because if you're not enjoying, you know, what you're doing right now and building that company, are you going to be successful? I don't think so. I don't think so. Well, and, you know, chime in on this too. There's, you know, we'd love to hear from you. If you've had any experiences like this, we we want your feedback. And um, you know what? If you also like this podcast, tell a friend. You know, word of mouth is always some of the best things for us podcasters. Yes, so share please, with, please, yeah, please. share with your friends and tell them to listen. Share with your friends, you know, tweet at us at one pigs fly pod or on our Facebook page, comment, you know, what your thoughts are. We're also on LinkedIn too and Instagram. So all over the social medias. Um, and you can always reach out to Allie or I, if you would like to be on the podcast or, you know, someone who would like to be on the podcast yeah. hosts at whenpigsfly.fm. Again, that is host at whenpigsfly.fm. And we look forward to hearing with you. And with that, Allie, I think it's time. I think it's time. Cheers. And here's some necessary legal stuff. Allie Martin and Patrick Bailey developed the When Pigs Fly podcast in collaboration with the Up Company LLC. At the time of this recording, we do not own equity or any financial interest in the companies which appear on the show unless otherwise indicated. All opinions expressed by podcast participants are solely their own opinion and do not reflect the opinions of the EW Scripts company and its affiliates or Generator Management LLC and its affiliates or any entity which employs us. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon as a basis for investment decisions. We have not considered your specific financial situation nor provided any investment or legal advice on the show. Thanks for listening and we'll talk to you next week.
We also want to give a shout out to Claire and Christian of Moonbow. They're the two artists of our intro song, which is so catchy and gets stuck in our heads all the time. So bop over to Spotify or wherever you find your music and give them a listen. And Like the Night by Moonbow is courtesy of Silver Lake Sync.